Welcome back to Your Future in Finance. Uh, this week we were joined by Diva Surendra, who's the head of Group, F- Group FP&A and Transformation over with Grain Corp. Diva's got a very interesting career, which is he's actually gone back and forth between Big Four and commercial, which is not something that we, we see too often with people going back into Big Four, Rick. But um, really interesting chat. What did you uh, What did you think of them? I really enjoyed it. He's such a nice, genuine guy. It was it was really great to even see some of his colleagues in the audience and <laughs> enjoy some insight into his his background. Another, you know, future CFO for sure. Absolutely, and I think listening in depth to some of the work he's done around transformation, it's always such a hot topic for any of our clients and candidates. I think it's a good one to listen to around some of the key challenges he's seen and some of, I guess, his, his tips to succeed in in a in a change management program, which is is always challenging. Uh, so definitely a good one for anyone who's got eyes on transformation or is is in a transformation project at the moment. And if anyone's looking to add tools into their toolkit, I think Diva really gave good insight around what tools are necessary on your path to CFO. Totally. And, and I think just the mindset around that as well of, of considering tools and, and what you need to learn as opposed to what the next role is. Uh, I think it's a, a really good mentality for career management. And so yeah, without further ado, we'll go over to the interview and, and hopefully you enjoy. Join us, Eva. Much appreciated. Yeah, thank you. So, obviously, you've been on the previous two, so you have an idea of the, I guess, the format of what we're going to do. So, we'll we'll just kick straight off into it. And Steve, if you want to give us your your brief overview, your your elevator pitch of, of who you are and, and how you've ended up here today. Yep. Uh, so, Steve Surendra. Uh, I, in my current role, I sort of lead and run the um, FPNA uh, function. Um, so, everything to do with budgeting, forecasting, um, strategic sort of projects and transactions and the capital side of things as mm-hmm. well. Um, so that's a very quick overview. Mm-hmm. So that's back with Green Corp, obviously, yeah. you, you, know, you were yeah. with previously. Before we get into the, the career journey, I'd always like to, to break the ice a little bit on uh, on a few, I can say fun questions, but slightly off topic questions. Um, if you weren't in finance, what would you be doing now? Yeah, I think I'd be a property developer. So. I'm really into property, um, so you know I spend most of my weekends with my kids. Unfortunately for them, going to <laughs> auctions and looking at <laughs> things that are going on. Um, so you know I like you know I, I definitely do like sort of knockdown rebuilds and all of that sort of stuff. So yeah, if it wasn't a Korean finance, it would probably be something in the property space. Yeah, because I got told by one of our mutual contacts, you basically learnt on YouTube how to do a lot of these things that you do in a in a place, and then. So was it like somewhere you bought somewhere out west and then yep. yeah, you just thought, had no idea what to do, yeah. room by room taught yourself? Yeah, bought, bought, a, bought a house, uh, oh, very cheap house at that point in time. And one of the biggest lessons, I've, I've paid a tiler up front. About <laughs> That's a rookie thousand. era. <laughs> Never saw him again. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, lots of, uh, lots of different projects that have gone well and yeah. some that haven't. But yeah, um, yeah overall... Uh, lots of enjoy it a lot. They're not bad experiences. There's lessons learned. Aren't yeah. those as well. and he's like, oh, I need a little bit more for supplies as well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and a popular one that, that I think a lot of people take a lot away from because obviously they can go and listen or read or whatever these things are. I mean, what's your sort of go-to in terms of content consumption? What where, where do you podcast, read, and what's your thing? Yeah, so I'm probably a bit more of a podcast person. Uh, and one of the things that I'd probably recommend is the CFO Playbook. There's about a hundred, hundreds of different episodes of different CFOs um, that go through their particular journey, something similar to the sort of conversations in the, the CFO Incubator mm-hmm. and all of those sort of things. Um, it's American, so it's a little bit different, um, but the concepts are, the, are, mm-hmm. are quite similar. So it's always good to just sort of hear people's growth uh, stories and what they've done as well. Yeah, cool. And obviously something to aspire towards as well down down the line for, for yourself and the people in the room, of course. In your opinion, who would be the the most interesting CEO in the whole world to work for and uh, why? I'd probably have to say Alan Joyce. I think sort of over the 10 years being in sort of um, professional or well in, in finance, Qantas has always been in the limelight. Um, Qantas has sort of various ups and downs through the last sort of 10 years that I've been sort of closely following them. And I think the way that Alan just works with the media, with government, with various different parties is quite amazing. Mm. Um, and I think sort of to be a sort of finance conduit in, in, in that business would be really interesting during those 
major transformations that he's led. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, and as you said, it's one of obviously being the the flag carrier for Australia. There's a lot of attention on Qantas, right? So yeah, being in that position, there's so much focus. Probably more so than most other CEO roles, you'd say within certainly within Australia, because they're not so iconic, so to speak. You know, as as Qantas are, which is which is an interesting one. But but back on the on the career front, I mean. Obviously, I, I've got a good idea of it, but for everyone in the room and, and people listening, run us through your career to date and, yeah. and how you've got to where you got to. Yeah, so I started my career um, at in uh, at Deloitte um, in the audit division. I grew up in Canberra, so that's where I sort of started my career. Um, I didn't know that. <coughs> yeah, 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 yeah Canberra. Yeah. <laughs> you know, generally most things in Canberra are government, um, but I was lucky enough to be in a couple of... <laughs> different private sector clients, so did Bega Cheese, and I did a couple of the wineries out in Griffith, so I got my first taste in the private sector, really enjoyed it, mm. and that was something that I was leaning to versus versus government at that time. So I was lucky enough to get a second, uh, almost a secondment and a transfer mm. up to Western Sydney at Deloitte in, in their sort of middle market manufacturing private sector um, side of things, and sort of spent there another two years there. So all up, I was at Deloitte sort of five to six years, I'd been a manager for two years um, and I really wanted to sort of see the other side of the fence and actually get my hands stuck into the, the commercial side of things. So an opportunity popped up at Flexi Group, which is a diversified financial services company. Um, and it was a traditional first mover uh, sort of opportunity in their group team as a senior accountant, looking after all things financial reporting related and tax as well. I had no idea about anything to do with tax. <laughs> uh, like doing a per, like a company tax return and FBT, doing all those lodgements was quite interesting. Learned a lot. Deferred taxes was another sort of crazy concept that I never really knew about. Um, so that was a really good opportunity um, and worked with some really good people there. And spent about sort of 18 months, did about sort of two year ends and a half year. Really good experience, but at that time I wanted to sort of branch out and go back into sort of a, an asset business um, outside of sort of uh, financial services. An opportunity popped up at Graincorp um, in their sort of storage and logistics division. And I think uh, one of the things that sort of drew me to that particular role was there was centralising finance from a number of different areas outside of you know regional New South Wales and that sort of different sort of. So I guess just for context, business. do yep. you want to just talk through Green Corp as, for, for people who don't know yep. what what it, what it does and how it's sort of positioned? Yeah, yeah. Yep. So Green Corp is probably one of Australia's largest agribusinesses. So we work with farmers to effectively um, get grain from from their farms into our storage facilities. So if you probably look at sort of all of Eastern Australia, all the way from Queensland down to Victoria, we have about over 200 sites where we receive and store grain. And we have about seven different um, ports as well across the Eastern seaboard. So we effectively are the so-called the middleman between the farmer and the end supplier or the end user um, for, for, for grain. And we connect those particular items um, to market. Very quick overview. Um, so uh, yeah, so I think when I did go into Grain Corp, one of the things that really sort of stood out for me was my, my hiring manager at the time, who was this old school Swedish sort of CFO or divisional CFO. And I remember in the interview, he was he was sort of saying, look, uh, you know, accounting isn't my, my strong point and, and, and dealing with the auditors is something that I don't really like to do um, or want to do. And, and this role is someone that would take full ownership of that, full accountability of that. He was more sort of concerned around running the business, operating the business and delivering on the outcomes and the strategy. And I thought to myself, well, this is someone that I could really work well with because I do did have that sort of strong accounting technical base um, that would work well with him, but I could actually learn a lot from, from him as well. So started there, probably, I'd have to say, sort of two weeks in, there was a major project around SAP real estate. So it's effectively all the lease. So I sort of said, yeah, look, there's about 200 sites. There's probably another 300 sites that we don't use. And we effectively lease that out. Um, to to other people who use those facilities, and for better use of words, that it was it was extremely manual. It was all managed on Excel spreadsheets, mm. and you know people were sort of invoicing on an ad hoc basis. They weren't collecting any utility charges and all of those sort of things. So there was a project already on hand to begin to sort of start this process. Anyway, two weeks in, the project manager gets turfed. <laughs> 
And and uh, my manager sort of came up to me and said, "Hey, I've got an opportunity for you. <laughs> opportunity. Uh, <yeah>. You're looking for <laughs> a, a redevelopment opportunity. Um, do you want to do you want to run this? And you know, I, I, I thought, you know, look, it's it's a pretty big job, and I've got a day job as well. But I thought to myself, you know, these are some of those opportunities you don't always get, and, and sort of grabbed it with two hands. Never done." Never even logged into SAP at that point, probably. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was a really good experience, and that sort of got me not only just sort of running the project, but actually got me to to know a lot of people in the business and seeing that end to end going from Excel spreadsheets to a fully automated system um, was quite a good thing in sort of very early on in my career. That was more of a sort of traditional sort of finance manager role. Then just through internal opportunities, I got a role, uh, I got an opportunity to be a sort of FP&A manager within the business unit, which was great, which was effectively really being that sort of business partner and stakeholder with all the sort of people in, in operations. Um, that was That was extremely good. And then a bit of a left field, right field, whatever you want to call it, my wife calls it the Stockholm Syndrome, going back into Big Four. So just because, just through just connections that I had, Deloitte at that time were looking for people that had sort of been in professional services, stepped out into, into industry, and were looking to bring those people into that CFO advisory practice. So, you know, from my perspective, I'd done a lot of things at Graincorp, uh, in particular that particular business unit. I was ready for trying something quite different and did that for about three years. And that was fantastic in terms of being able to do a variety of different projects, project system <coughs> implementations, transformations. You call it very, very, very diverse piece of work um, across different industries. Did that, enjoyed it, and then sort of thought, okay, life's getting a bit serious. Where do, you, where do I sort of, where do I want to go? Do I want to go down the partnership route um, or do I want to sort of um, go down, you know, the commercial route and, 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 and sort of further extend my experience? And then a really good opportunity popped back at Graincorp um, at a sort of group FP&A level mm. and working very closely with the CFO and, and the GM of finance there. So took that still the same CFO as when you'd been the previous no, CFO? No, so the previous CFO was Alistair Bell. Yeah. So Alistair left, went over to, to Metcash. Yeah. Um, and Ian Morrison, who was my former manager, yeah. got the CFO gig. So just through close connections, ended up... Had you always kept in contact, I'm assuming, when you... Yeah, yeah definitely, yeah. So... Um, I think sort of that's one of the biggest tips that I ever have is you never know where you know where your opportunities lie. You never know who you, who you know what can come past. It's always sort of um, keeping in close contact um, is always a good yeah option, I guess. Yeah. So and you've been back was it nine months now? Yeah, it's been yeah. about nine months. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. settling back in Wales. Yeah, yeah. Is it uh, yeah. like going to, to somewhere you've been before? You know, you know your way around and things. Yeah, also? it is. It is a little bit now. I think. It, it is quite different as well because previously I was in, in a business unit um, in, in a particular function looking after the, the storage and logistics part of the business. But now it's at a almost sort of group central yeah. view where you're looking at consolidating all the bis- different business unit across the business and, and pulling all of that up mm. and then reporting that to a different audience where yeah. whether it be executive or senior stakeholders. But whereas previously it was very close <coughs> with with operation managers and, and working with them very closely on their P&Ls and budgets and forecasts. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. And, and if you go right back, I mean, why finance them? What, what led, was it always the plan or what led you to finance? Yeah, I think I was pretty much born an accountant, so my dad's <laughs> family are all accountants. Yeah. I think my dad's goal was pretty much, uh, he worked at the ATO, and at the time, the ATO had a graduate program, so they pay for your hex mm-hmm. and you, you, know, you, you work with them and you actually do university as well. So that was my, my dad's goal was for me yeah, to get onto yeah. that. Um, I still remember in year 11 when I went, you go and pick your courses. And um, my dad came with me to pick my courses and he told the person accounting, business, economics. And he was like, what other accounting units do you have? And then the person was like, no, no, you have to do maths and English. He's like, do you really have to do maths and English? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah that, so pretty much I did maths, English, and then four accounting, or three accounting related subjects. So luckily for me, I really did enjoy, I, I wouldn't necessarily accounting as yeah. such, I did enjoy accounting. 
but I did enjoy businesses yeah. um, and, I, and I did at a very early age enjoy sort of how things work and how things operate yeah. um, so it worked out in that way and I think it, it's a really good way to as you guys will know to oversee a business to get in is the numbers initially but we're seeing more and more the finance business partner and elements I think finance is getting a bigger and bigger say because you do see so much from, from the numbers side you know especially with, with sort of data and everything now which is which is really cool and, and early on in your career and this may even be before you got into finance I mean what was sort of the best early job that you had where did you feel like you learned a lot yeah Domino's so I worked at Domino's for like <laughs> about five years I started there as a driver did you have I, the car yeah I had, the car, had the Domino's car um, it was pretty cool uh, on my own car, I had to put that, you know, the Domino's bike as well, so enjoyed that. Um, yeah, that was, that, was, that was good. Then I sort of became a dough, dough boy, then I became, then I effectively made pizzas, cut pizzas on the calls, and then effectively sort of started managing um, mm. the store. And funnily enough, it was actually Australia's busiest Domino's is in Canberra. Believe it or not, students. Yeah, students. Yeah. Well, I think it's also because the way the Domino's franchise works is the franchisees effectively pick a location or buy a franchise, mm. and then they have territory over where else they can put another franchise. Yeah. So for this particular franchise, the franchisee just decided that this was going to be a superstore okay. and would build nothing else outside of that. So that's why it was the busiest. Smart. Um, so yeah, look, I was, I was a store manager there working, working for the guy who owned the store. Um, for me, it was a lot. It was really interesting because got to run the store, got to work very closely with the guy who owned the store. And, you know, a good thing about the way that Domino's is managed is all the operational metrics. So, you know, in terms of how quick you make pizzas, how fast you deliver them, when people come in store to check all the all the particular records, all of those are monitored and all oh. of those have KPIs. Yeah. And I was directly sort of responsible for them. So at a very early and, and you you know, also managing staff. Yeah. And, you know, you've got fifteen year olds who don't rock up to work <laughs> and you know, all the complications that come with that. Yeah. So I think it early on it was a good opportunity mm. to sort of develop my manager skills, um, and also sort of understand how and bit how and how the business operates. Yeah. I didn't realise Domino's was so data driven. That, that's, uh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. That um, was that was back. I'm old. That was back yeah. like years ago as well. Yeah. You don't look it, mate. Yeah. <laughs> and if if you look through your career, I mean, obviously we have a lot of easy decisions. Sometimes you have a lot of tough ones. What would be what would be some of your easier and just some of your tougher ones? Yeah, I think sort of the the most difficult decision was probably going back into Big Four because mm. I think. You know that's very against the grain, um, and even even to this day when Pardon I sort of meet, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and and I think sort of trying to sort of you know, like when you look at it on a paper, it looks very bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think sort of you know the way that I sort of tried to um, justify it was trying to add tools in my toolkit, um, and I thought at that particular point in time, getting that transformation experience and getting a few different sort of diversity in industries and clients would sort of help me sort of build, build up my skill set. It was a difficult decision, but mm-hmm. I sort of, um, you know, when people are faced with difficult decisions, I always sort of reach out to your, your trusted network, mm-hmm. your close friends, mm-hmm. um, your mentors, or your former managers. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, some of them, you know, when I spoke to them, they're like, oh, that's crazy. Yeah. But then when you actually sort of actually unpack it a little bit more, yeah. these are the reasons. and. These are the projects that I could be involved in to sort of ex- develop my career. Um, On that, yeah, I think that's a really interesting point you made there because you started to look at it as a toolkit. As I, I need these different skills. When did you do that? Because I think a lot of people go through the career role to role without thinking. You know, you're always looking for that next thing or the, the manager role or whatever. But you've kind of looked at them, gone, but I need the skill X, Y, and Z, which I wasn't going to get in that role. Yeah. When did your mind shift from role to role to skill set thinking? Yeah, it's a really good point because I, I think sort of some of the things that you, you I, I definitely did get caught up was was helping people run a business um, and, op, and operationally there's a lot of things that happen. It's it's really good, but it can, can also sort of, you, you get to a point where you've effectively accomplished a lot of those particular things in that role. And I think for me, what I was missing at that time was the engagement with senior stakeholders, mm. right? And I was keen to really sort of run a transformation program as well and also <coughs> be challenged and take my career to the next level. And some of the roles that I 
did it when I went back into Deloitte was able to, I mean, even sort of, you know, a month into Deloitte, I sort of had to present at an audit risk committee, for mm-hmm. example. I'd never done that yeah. in my career. So, some, so so all of those sort of experiences that I was able to sort of pick up, it's just adding that skill set. So to answer your question, you sort of, I think I think sort of, you, you almost need to sort of say, on a list, just write down all the things you would like to do in finance. Yeah. And you need to sort of cross those off. And then, okay, these are the six or seven things that you need to do. How do I go about doing it? Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, what was one of the easier decisions then? If it was tough going back in, what was one of the easier decisions? Yeah, I think one of the easier decisions was probably going um, to doing sort of, you know, the financial control role um, or finance manager role at Graincorp and trying to figure out what my next steps were. And the sort of FP&A commercial role came up and that was pretty, I think that was a very easy decision because it's, once again, just that toolkit, getting some further skill sets in that space. So that was that was a bit of a no-brainer. Yeah, awesome, awesome. And and now obviously, you know, you've got to a very high level within finance because obviously you're good at what you do, but what's the biggest thing you're working on at the moment in terms of your continued development because obviously none of us are the finished article we're always learning and growing what, what are you yeah. working on at the moment yeah so I mean that's that's a great question as well I think um, sometimes we can get run down doing the day to day sort of things and we don't really get that opportunity to actually take a step back um, one of the things that I do is just sort of work very closely with my managers and, and, and people that um, I report to just to ask them you know give me some upfront feedback like mm-hmm. what do you think I should do better and uh, you know one of the things that sort of that I'm working on just through that feedback process is effective delegating I think that's you know I'm one of those people that is extremely hands-on um, I don't micromanage <laughs> but but I, I like to yeah you can people there. Um, I don't micromanage but I like to just get into the detail mm. But now it's sort of at this point in time, I'm trying to sort of let go and, and let the team sort of deliver and, you know, got really capable people that are able to do that. Um, so that's working on it. Um, and the other one is just, I tend to just sort of do too many things at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just try get involved in probably as much as I possibly can. Yeah. And then just making sure that I deliver on all of those things mm-hmm. is very important. So there are a couple of things that I'm working through. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the, the, the plate spinning analogy, right? You, know, you can yep. keep six going, but you want to do 10, you'll drop eight of them. And then yes. yeah, it's, yeah, it's always exactly. the right? Absolutely. Unless you somehow stretch your time even more, but obviously that, that's that's difficult in itself. But And and looking back, you know, over the years, what, what's some of the, the best advice you've had from, because you talk a lot about mentors and leaders that you've worked with, what's some of the good advice that you've had off them over? Years. Yeah, I think the very early on um, in my career, there was a particular manager that, you know, it was like doing these performance appraisals in Big Four, and it was just like, <laughs> yeah, you know, meeting expectations. And mm. and then she pulled me aside and said, hey, look, I think you've done a really good job here, but what's clearly evident to me is that you don't back yourself. Mm. And I think that's some things that you can see in professionals where they they don't push themselves to probably their potential and they don't actually call out call it out mm. and even if they've done a really good job they don't actually say they've done a good job yeah um, so for me it's a little bit uh, uh, like that's that's one of the pieces of advice that I'd probably sort of give give out mm. another another piece is just around you know finance can play such an important part in, in business decisions it's very easy to be a yes man mm. uh, it's hard to be a no man or a no woman um, no answer for a man or a no man or a female, but um, uh, and, I, and I think sort of we're there to challenge the status quo. Yeah. So I think you know from from my perspective, and one of the one of the, the hardest decisions that I've ever had to do is actually push back on a few, mm-hmm. you know, whether that be capital projects or whether that be um, business decisions, and just say, look, you know, this doesn't stack up. Mm-hmm. But at least you know that it's it's not easy doing that, yeah. Yeah. especially when you're in an environment where there might be people who have 20 years in the industry or in the business and they're like but we know we do this and you're like but it doesn't make sense that you're yeah. doing it changing that mindset and trying to say well actually guys this isn't making sense you yeah know? the hardest one is like when we did it last year you signed it off sort of thing it's mm-hmm. like okay yeah. <laughs> i think i think um that's that's always tough mm-hmm. but i think i think sort of you know the advice that I've always obviously always been like we're there to challenge we're there to be independent mm, yeah. yeah I think the back yourself point's really important as well with finance people because uh, you know if you look at 
personality traits of finance professionals. But often, you know, they're not going to be the people who are going to tear up the room and, and, you know, own the room. But yeah, I think that's one thing I'd say to most people I meet is just back yourself because you're very good at what you do. Um, and, and back yourself with what you believe, you know, and, and you might not always be right, but I think to stand for it yeah. and, and sort of have that conversation. And I think it's it's the, you know, the individuals that don't back themselves that don't put them for, put themselves forward. Unfortunately, you know, it's 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 difficult. It can be difficult to, mm. to, to move through their careers, but it also does depend on the manager as mm. well. So if you've, you know, so there's a, there's a bit of a correlation there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. And obviously, you've made you know a few moves in your career yourself. Now, I mean, when do you know you're ready? When do you start thinking oh, I'm ready to move on here? Yeah. So, from my perspective, it's yeah, the question that I always think: Have you hunted enough? And what I mean by that is, it's very easy for finance professionals to just do their job mm. and you know do your A to B or yeah. A to Z or whatever, follow your JD, do that monthly reporting pack, or do those particular deliverables. Yeah. What I sort of try and encourage, and I and I look to myself as well when I do this, have I gone out and spoken to all my stakeholders, mm-hmm. all the different people that I'm involved with, and have I, have I asked enough questions to develop myself mm-hmm. and my particular um, position that I'm in? I think once you, you know, there's a, definitely a time element, like, you know, if you've been in roles for... Eight, you know, two year, two three years. That obviously does help, but I think if you've if you've really gone out there and you've really tried to sell as much as you can, yeah. and you've exhausted all those resources, then that's that's probably a good yeah. a good indication that you could move on. Yeah, I think again to your point, I think a lot of people go to a certain <coughs> window of time and go, "I'm done here. This role, I've done it." And it's like, well, how much have you pushed yourself to go out and speak to other people and say within the business, "Is there anything else I can do? Where can I be?" And then it's, it's often the case, oh no, I haven't actually said that to anyone, I've just been thinking it to myself. And then they start looking and you're like, you're probably not ready just yet because you haven't yeah. exhausted the, you know, to your point, you can get some really good internal things that come along just by putting your hand up and, and sort of saying. Exactly. And I, and I think as well, there's, there's nothing, um, you know, in this day and age, talking to your manager about, mm. hey, look, you know, I've done these items and, you know, looking for my next challenge. Yeah. That, not, that might not be a promotion or anything like that, but it might be, hey, we've got this particular project, do you want to run it? Yeah. Um, I think sort of having those upfront conversations can be very powerful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think as well, particularly in high achieving spaces, the chances are your, your manager's been on the same journey that you're on in terms of, I want to do that next thing. They've had to go and have that conversation and I can't speak for everyone, but I guess a lot of people will be grateful that as a manager, you've approached them and said, I want to do that thing. And you're like, yeah. oh, cool, run with it. You know, that, that's absolutely fine. I want to see you grow. And I think a lot of managers don't want to see their people stagnate themselves. You know, they want to see continued growth. And yeah. It's not every manager, but, you know, certainly I think a lot of the, the best ones. Will <clears> and I think as well, them. like when you look at, um, you know, if someone in your team is going out there and shooting lights out and doing different projects and going out there and hunting you as a manager and you're not going to be like oh don't do that you know and your manager's manager is going to be you know at the end of the day that function is benefiting by that person doing that so I think you know my advice would be definitely to to go out there and do as much as you can yeah on a side note to that because this is something I was talking to you about earlier on I was last week actually but do you think that that's become more difficult for people in a COVID world, a post-COVID world, because we're not in the office as much? So it's almost harder to break down them barriers from where your role sits with other parts of the business, because you may only be in the office once or twice a week. You're not seen to be doing almost, you know, because you're, you sort of end up in a bubble with your people who are on Teams calls with you regularly, your key stakeholders. It's hard to branch out. Because I think two years on, we're starting to see with some people they might be finding it difficult to get that internal move that they would have got previously just by not being known. Yeah, no, I think I think that's definitely, it's, it's a good point. Um, I think sort of those corridor conversations, just being present in the mm-hmm. office do actually lead to, to additional things. So at the moment, the hybrid, you know, if you're in the office two days a week, we tend to try and business partner with our, mm-hmm. with our sort of, uh, partner with our sort of stakeholders in the, in the in the time that they're in the office, yeah. so we do get that sort of cross pollination. Mm. But the, you know, at the same time, you know, if even even in, you know even in the virtual world, I still think if you're a bit of a go getter and you mm. you want to explore something, that you can mm. actually go. Hey, I want to go and talk to the GM of Ops and mm. understand what's on 
his or her priority list mm-hmm. um, and actually, you know, create a team's call and with your yeah. manager and, and, you know, see what's out there. So, yeah, a bit of both. But I do mm-hmm. agree, like, naturally that is... The osmosis isn't yeah. there the way it used to be. Yeah, yeah. But I think to your point, it's about being proactive, isn't it? And saying, actually, I'm going to do that. I think it'd take a strange manager to pull you back in and be like, stop trying to help the business. You know? <laughs> yeah. but we don't want you to do that. So, yeah, I think it's, it's important to be proactive on that. And, and I think one thing to focus on your career, because you've touched on it a lot as well, is sort of transformations. I mean, as you said, you were, you were a, month, a month or two into Green Corp and you start, you start looking at one. You know, what, 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 what's the sort of view from you in terms of, I guess, if you want to talk a bit more detail about the transformation that you've done with Green Corp and, and then we can sort of dive into that a bit more. You know? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so I think sort of uh, one of the things that we, that sort of um, got positioned when, when sort of started uh, there was around a, a big sort of transformation project mm-hmm. around what we look trying to do and, and deliver in FPNA. So Graincorp previously was, you know, big big top one hundred uh, company that you know, market capped, you know, four to five billion, um, and and sort of ran a decentralised finance function. So you had four or five different divisions. Each division had a divisional CFO. They had their own systems. They had their own processes. They had their own BI tool, um, and they ran just as a separate business. Sort of fast forward to sort of. Two three years, the they demerged um, or we demerged uh, Molco, um, and that's sort of separately listed um, on the ASX. And then Graincorp became a small company, sort of one to two billion dollar market cap. And the view was instead of a decentralized function to centralize the function. Very good in, in theory. So <laughs> have a financial control function, have an FPNA function, and have a commercial finance function. Uh, so day one. Day two, maybe mm. getting into the FPNA and, and running that function, you know, getting six numbers from a particular business unit is really, really hard in FPNA. Um, there's, to be honest, not much you can do with six numbers. Take an average. You can, create, you can create some interesting charts with six numbers, but that's probably it. And then, so the, the challenge that was put forward to me by Ian and Dave was around sort of how do we reshape FPNA and, and what do you need to deliver? So. Here's a sheet of paper, go for it. Yeah. Um, and that that's probably what attracted me to the role, mm. to be honest. Yeah. And for me, it was I, I understood one part of the business really well, but the other three or four parts... Because that's the business unit you've been in before. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that and they were really heavily integrated with SAP, TM1, and that was really set up from a BI perspective. Mm. The other four, four to five businesses all have variety of different systems, processes, BI tools, i.e. Mm. Excel, most, yeah. most of them. Um, uh, and, and, and that was what they had effectively used, or what we, you know, those functions had effectively used. And sort of over the last sort of, you know, six months, it's been about understanding what they use, how they use, what what's the story mm-hmm. around pulling these into a centralised view. Yeah. Um, so that's the journey that we've, we're still going on. Um, sort of part the way through it and we've developed the roadmap yeah. um, but that's a bit of a quick snap it's one thing yeah. having, having the roadmap and then it's it's taking the journey right the, yeah there's the about six phases on that roadmap yeah. and we've just passed one <laughs> should be there in a few years then. yeah I know it's going yeah. to be done in, in, in the next sort of six to twelve months yeah. that's my gut feeling awesome. Anyway. Yeah. awesome is, is a lot of that stuff then is that legacy via sort of acquisition and things like Absolutely. that so people have come in with different mindsets and, and work the way they work yeah it's, it's definitely that's that's exactly correct so bolt on acquisitions um you know nothing really that's expanded from the core um and that's why we have a variety of different systems and and processes and what would you say have been sort of the key challenges so far then is if you're like sort of nine months into this journey now what would you say that the key challenges you've come across yeah it's like sort of handing out the plague no one wants it yeah (laughs) so it's been really difficult to be honest um as much as i have sort of a lot of brand value in in grain corp and people know me it's you know it's it's sort of one of these things where we've done it for a number of years in this particular way um from from the team's perspective it's it works Mm. Um, so it's been sort of nothing to see here, but mm. it's so it's been hard to sort of convince them. But we've had a number of different workshops, and I think what's really sort of been evident through them is is around sort of, you know, nothing today that we're doing is is necessarily um, from business view perspective, not not there. It's more about sort of how do we have that all the detailed views 
and key drivers mm. at a group level and how do we pull all of that together. Mm. Um, so it's been, been a bit of a challenge, but as we sort of start to articulate the story, start to develop the roadmap, start to talk about, well, this is what the future of finance could be. Yeah. And this is what, you know, instead of, you know, you guys doing this, we could automate it doing it this way and this is what it could look like. Mm. Um, so, um, yeah, so it's been, it's been a lot of selling and, yeah. and trying to negotiate and work, work my way through. I think that's a really good point you raised. Because like, I get that from a lot of finance leaders I talk to is the vision and the journey. You've got to get them on board with what we're doing long term. It can't just be, we need you to do this yeah. because we want to do it like this now. You're yeah. just going to get pushback on that. Oh, like, 100%. You want me yeah. to change it to your point, something that's so set in their way, it works for them. Yeah. You have to really make them understand. How did you go about that then? Because I imagine, you know, at this point you've got, from as I'm seeing it, five, four or five business units that you need to get on board. Is it a get everyone together? Or is it go individually and, and sort of... Yeah, it's been it? sort of like an individual workshop. Mm. So... It's been a bit about sort of, you know, which each of the teams just understand what we do daily on a, on a monthly basis, what systems we use, what are the extracts, what are the key drivers, understanding all of that information, getting information as well, mm. and then also uh, partnering. So we've, we've got a, a, a company that we use called Octane, mm. who do a lot of our sort of team one support, um, and we've been using them sort of during this process to get that external view in as well, to start to go, okay, if we, you know, look at this information, this is what we do today, how would we get it into a tool like Team One and what would be the value add? So it's a little bit about that data discovery, understanding it, but then also replaying it back to them and going, okay, if we did this, this is what it could look like. And that's when you start to get a bit more of a buy-in. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's been, you know, you, you sort of have these workshops and you, you know, you go through it, but then it's probably that corridor conversation with the commercial finance manager and, you know, and then you say, you know, what do you think? Did that land okay with that you? That land yeah. okay. And, and it's just sort of softening them up a little yeah. bit. And then lobbying almost. Lobbying, <laughs> a lot of lobbying, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then you lobby the other way yeah. and then you sort of, everyone's sort of hopefully going that way. Yeah. And it won't be easy, um, but... That's, that's sort of the way that we're sort of approaching things. And, and where did you come up with your roadmap then? Did you, what was your, because obviously you've gone in with an idea of, as you said, one business unit, but where did you get your roadmap for what, I guess, what good looks like, you know, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think that's probably, I guess, a, a good thing about having a little bit of recent consultancy experience mm. because um, going through different transformation projects, there's different methodologies and there's different ways that we work or worked with clients back then. Um, so there's a little bit of methodology around yeah. it. Um, and the good thing is, well, partnering with an external consultant around, you know, their recent implementations yeah. and how they've gone about it. So developing that roadmap. And, and, uh, and I think as well, because if you take a step back, it wasn't like we went, okay, TM1's the way to go. Yeah. The first, the first thing is, well, we use TM1 for part of our business today. Mm. What are our shortfalls? And a lot of the shortfalls were around the external reporting element of TM1. So what we needed to do was actually bring in a tool like Power BI and actually plug that in and actually sort of demonstrate that this is the tool of choice. So that was the first step, which yeah. is a tick. And now it's about sort of going into different particular business units and mm -hmm. sort of pulling that together. Um, so the roadmaps effectively, you know, to, to the point of your question, it's, it's sort of best practice that that we see out there and, and sort of, you know, using external people to, to bounce ideas off. But it's also internal as well, saying, okay, these are the different projects that we can do, which is the, you know, what do we do first and yeah. what's going to be our biggest bang. Yeah. Is that going back to your point that about not doing too much at once? Yeah. Trying to yep. pick up <laughs> one of the battles that we want to have, which yeah. ones, and then trying to tick them off as you go, this will lead to this, which will... Yeah, if you asked me sort of six months ago, I'd hope I'd be done by now but yeah <laughs> that's where it's I've, that's ne where. I've never seen anything like this run on time or schedule yeah, yeah, exactly. you're not, you're not yeah. the first but, but that's a really good point I mean what have been some of your your biggest learnings of going through this process because to your point you have an idea of what it's going to be you always come up against things that you don't foresee I mean what, what are some of the things that have, that have hit you that you didn't yeah, see yeah I think I think sort of um, finance led transformation and maybe a transformation from a business unit, business area in finance, like FP&A trying mm. to drive this, it's really hard mm. um, because, you know, if you compare it with the big bang 
finance transformation led from CIO, yeah, it, you know, it'd be very different. Yeah. Um, so I think I think the a lot of the challenges has been as we're going through this, it's been a bit about like, why is you know why is FP&A driving mm. this? Well, you know, and I have had support from from the CFO and and Dave and the GM of um, commercial finance around. Well, this is the roadmap. Mm. This is what we're pushing. So that's really helped having yeah. that sort of top top down approach and then i've also sort of lobbied the cio as well just mm-hmm. around look this is what we're planning on doing yeah. um you know from from their perspective it's it's very tactical mm-hmm. it's existing system software yeah. it's using our existing landscape so sort of been able to I've sort of been hard to push the sort of start of the project with some of the sort of line managers yeah. but i've been able to sort of lobby around and get enough yeah. support to then sort of close them in if that makes yeah. sense yeah and that's I think sometimes that can be the, to your point because you're not the CFO or someone pushing it top down it's that getting people getting the getting the momentum to get going first which is then once you get that then people are on the journey then yeah. it's just getting them going in the first place to, to be on board exactly and I think I think one of the things as well like when you, you bounce and, and one of the things I probably did um, just to take it back as well I connected a lot with my peer groups mm. um, and is that internally my, or externally externally yeah, yeah, yeah. so all the people that I you know did my my CA with and all of that who are now sort of Controllers or head of FP&As in, in listed companies. Mm-hmm. I sort of just wanted to understand how they use ERP, their yeah. their their BI tool, yeah. and how they influence decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, everyone that I spoke to had sort of everything sort of really well connected. Yeah. Um, so I used a lot of that sort of hey, if they can do it. Well, yeah. So can we. Yeah. Um, so that's helped a lot as well. Mm-hmm. And that's something I think. Obviously, we've known each other now for a couple of years or so, and you've always, to me, struck me as someone who's a good networker, and you keep on top of your network. Is is that something you've done consciously, or has it just been that you've you've always kept in touch with people along the way? Do you have a structure to how you do it, or is it just people that you've kept in touch with? Yeah, I think it's um, one. I don't mind having a coffee or a beer. That's always I can quite easy. That yeah. <laughs> um, so that that always works. So just um, just sort of network in that way, but. I think it's for me. I'm probably looking at like look at it from two perspectives because it's actually a little bit of I don't know if you want to call it like understand what other businesses mm-hmm. are doing yeah. and trying to you know if you know I've got a, a really good mate at Helios and you know we talk we constantly sort of bounce ideas and understand what what they're doing and yeah. I'm like oh that's really interesting we're doing it this way mm-hmm. and and you sort of you know in a way get a bit of a feel of how what other companies are actually doing Um, and I also think I'm I'm very much like one of those people where you never know where your career ends up so or or really any it could be outside of career as well Um, so I'm always in that respect um, just making sure that I reach out to network because it's not easy Um, you know you do lose lose touch Um, I remember when I was trying to reach um, and try to find people you know that have done big transformation projects Mm -hmm. in ASX listed and it was literally scrolling through LinkedIn, yeah. just going, "Oh, like that person works in News Corp. I'm yeah. going to give them a call and see what they're doing and what yeah. they've done." So, yeah, not easy, but I think it's um, something that I think people should do. Yeah, and I think it's always good as well to have people. It's as much as obviously you need the internal network and support for it. It's good to have people externally to go. We're thinking this. What do you think? Because you're they've got no skin in your game, but they'll just give you an honest view of what they've seen or done themselves, and might give you points as that. You wouldn't yeah. have seen from the internal crowd, you know. Absolutely, yeah. for sure. And if we uh, if we start looking forward now, in in terms of you know, obviously the the future career journey for yourself. I mean, what's one piece of advice to that? You know, if you could go back and say to a younger diva, "This is what you need to know." What, what would you? Uh, what, what would be the one bit of advice you give a younger self? Do I write? No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, I think don't do accounting. <laughs> yeah, don't listen to me, Dad. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I'd probably. I don't know. I think I'd. Um, I'd probably say, yeah, remain almost sort of, yeah, remain focused and don't try and rush your career. Mm. Um, I think sort of. I've always sort of said, you know, jumped in a role and gone, okay, this is what I want to achieve and I want to do it in two years or 18 months and I want to do this straight after. And I've sort of constantly had that. So it's it's worked for me, but it's yeah. also worked against me as well. Yeah. So I think, yeah, biggest biggest um, dis, yeah biggest advice to my younger self would be 
to yeah not not rush yeah, slow yeah, it down slow it down yeah <laughs> yeah i mean that's a good point as well just, you know so many people are like i want that next thing i want that next thing i want that next thing and then you know by the mid early 30s they're like burnt out <laughs> they've had four different companies on the cv and they you know they've just hopped to hop to hop and they're like yeah well what do i want to do exactly um, yeah. and then yeah that's when you start seeing some and challenges. i do and i do think there is a lot of um and i've probably started doing it a lot um over the last year is really understand how things work mm. and how things connect together i think you know one of the most you know quasi boring things is balance sheets and cash flows <laughs> But actually really understanding a balance sheet and cash flow is not that easy. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, taking your time to understand it and understand a business mm-hmm. um, is actually really important. Yeah. yeah. And and if you look at the, I guess, the, the wider landscape, um, what do you think the, the future of the world of finance is, you know, for a yeah. finance professional? I think, um, yeah, I think finance is just getting involved in everything mm-hmm. um, these days. And I think we're sort of one of those sort of independent gatekeepers that we need to sort of voice our opinion in any sort of you know material or major event a company does and I'm definitely seeing you know people in finance in our function continually getting dragged into conversations which is really good yeah yeah um, in terms of you know you know getting our opinions and our views Um, but I'm also seeing that you know because of that I think we in finance need to be more agile yeah um, and the way that we do projects needs to be a bit more sort of thought out and also a bit more digitalized, you know, you yeah. know, get out of those Excel, Excel spreadsheets, mm-hmm. automate a few things. And yeah. um, I think that's very important as well. Yeah, I think to, to your point there, I mean, I've been recruiting finance roles for nine years now and I've seen in the time I've done it, which is you know, not a huge amount of time, but it's the change from back office function to lead to being in the conversation to help now lead the conversation and it only seems to be going further that way you know finance is having a bigger and bigger say particularly as we're going towards a much more data-driven world you guys have got the data and you know you've got the the hard numbers there that you can look at and i think it's becoming more and more valued by the business as well you now see people saying, I want finance there, as opposed yeah. to your finance muscling away into a conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's now, no, but we need finance to have this conversation. Absolutely, so. and I think that's the biggest change that mm-hmm. I've seen, yeah. where previously, you know, five, six years ago in my career, you used to have to be mm-hmm. like, you know, we need to push ourselves yeah. into the conversation. But whereas, I mean, it depends on company culture yeah, as well, but, um, you know, where, the, where these days it's, you know, finance is, is, on, the ta- is, it, is it on the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're seeing so many CFOs move into CEO, COO roles as well now because they've, they've got they've proven that over the years as well. So it's, it's an interesting time. And um, I mean, on, on an individual level, what, what do you think your, your future looks like? You know, not, not to put you on the spot in front <laughs> of a, a room full of people, but what, 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 where do you see yourself going? Yeah, I mean, look, I think, I think sort of I've thought about this sort of um, over the years and I think sort of my goal, my end goal <laughs> um, is to get a divisional CFO role um, or a GM of finance mm. and looking after sort of control, FP&A, commercial mm. finance, having all of those particular elements. But the next couple of years is getting all those toolkits yeah. like, I spoke, like sort of we, we spoke about. Yeah. And I'm still learning, still developing, still trying to get my way through it. Mm. Um, so yeah, so you've, I've sort of got a stake in the ground saying this is what I want to get to but these are the areas that I need to develop in yeah. and grow in um, for me to be ready in that role yeah and I think on a bit of a, a plug here but we have a program here that we run um, the career optimizer but I'll send you all a copy out afterwards but it's to your point with the toolkit looking at all the different skill sets finance professionals have it's just a chance to look through it yourself and say well what have I got what am I missing and what can I build on um, so I'll make sure we send that out afterwards as well to everyone in the room. Final sort of questions, the easy one for me, hard one for you. Yeah. What are your uh, your top three tips for, for aspiring finance professionals going forward? Yeah, I think sort of to the point of just being like really curious, I think, you know, really try and understand how things work. Um, you know, I, I often sort of um, see it in people where they may, you know, as part of my job, this is what I'm meant to do, and this I've asked this particular question, happy days, that's it. Mm. Um, but I think it's more about, we may not necessarily need to ask questions for a particular task, but I always find, I always really encourage people just to understand things and just to ask questions that are completely not relevant as well. Like it's, you know, I'm always the person in the room, I think, 
first of all, sometimes a lot of the times I'm like, don't ask this question. It's going to be a stupid question. I'm like, I'll start off going, I've got a stupid question. <laughs> that just sort of eases it. So. Yeah, just set the tone. Yeah, and, and, and um, yeah, so I, I think, you know, it's really important for finance to understand things and be really curious and ask the stupid questions because I, I'm a firm believer there's no stupid mm. questions. Um, and if you're in the right environment, you're not going to get shot down. Um, so that's my, one of my tips. Mm. Yeah, we had a CFO. I don't, you might have been on the CFO incubator when he said this. Yeah. Like, if you can ask why five times and they, keep, they don't get a new answer, like that's when you get to the bottom of what the actual answer is. You know, it's like, but why? But why do you do that? And then it's like, then they'll get to the point of, oh, we're not actually too sure and maybe we do need to change our mindset. It's a really good tool. But yeah. they can keep saying, giving you a reason why. You're like, oh, fair enough, you, you know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good tool for like doing transformations yeah. and lean projects. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. Why? You'd be surprised, yeah. Um, two other tips then? Yeah, um, I think I think sort of be yourself. I don't think you know you need to change yourself or be anyone that you're not. Um, I think your personality is exactly, you know, I, I think you just need to bring yourself to work and, and, and not really try be anyone different. Yeah. Um, and I think once you're sort of in that manner, a lot of your natural skill sets will, will start to play out. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is have fun. Like mm. I think you know, if, if you're not if you're not really enjoying your job, um, then um, you know things might not be going that great. But if you try and just have the, the mentality of having fun, and you know, not everything needs to be about work um, as such, and you can do a variety of different things to keep it keep it a, a good environment. So we spend enough time in work that if you're not not enjoying it along the way, it's. Uh yeah, I always say we are in our role we're quite lucky because there's three big things in your life you know your house your spouse and your career and we get to help people with one of them and I'll tell you now the third one's not right the other two are probably going to be a bit ropey as well you know if you're not enjoying work and everything else kind of flows from there but uh, yeah one of my old mentors sort of said as long as you're having this interesting one as long as you're having more good days than bad days it's okay it's yeah. <laughs> a good way of looking but, at yeah, it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that guy worked about 20 hours a day. So. <laughs> but he was having good days. But he must have been having good days to do it, yeah. Totally, totally. Yeah. Um, awesome. But, I mean, thank Deaver in the uh, traditional way. A little round of applause. Thanks so much for your time, Deaver. Yeah, thank you. Very much appreciated. And, uh, yeah, look forward to seeing where it all goes now. Yeah, no, thanks. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening again, guys. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the podcast. Obviously, this is a bit of a side hustle for Rick and I, and one that we do thoroughly enjoy. But our day-to-day job is uh, primarily in the accounting and finance recruitment world. If any of you do find yourself to consider options or potentially just looking at planning your career from where you are now, please feel free to reach out to Rick or myself. In the reverse of that as well, if you are looking for the next best talent for your team, please do feel free to reach out to myself or or Rick in due course. Have a good one.